So we've been talking about Romans and the central purpose of the letter, which we saw first in chapter 3, verse 8, that Paul's gospel, his message, was being slandered, as we are so slanderously reported. Blasphemeo. And if you're an apostle and your job is to spread this good news all around the earth, and your message is being slandered in the capital of the earth, you know it's just a matter of time before your message is being undermined everywhere. Which is why Paul wrote this letter alone to people he had not met and that he had not started their church. This is the only one. But he is defending his entire ministry because this group of competing Jewish leaders were undermining his message. And what was the slander? The slander is they said that Paul was teaching you ought to do evil that good may come. That's the way he phrased it in chapter 3. But he doesn't actually take on the argument head on until chapter 6 and 7, which is where we are today. In chapter 3, he just says their condemnation is just. And then he goes through a series of smackdowns. And he says, you know, their, their, their assertion is uh, that you become righteous by keeping the law. And that's the fundamental question in Romans. That's, that's where the whole dilemma is. How do you become righteous? How, how do you become a righteous person in living? You know, the Jews weren't about ticket into heaven so much. They were about the righteousness of God being lived out and fulfilled. So Paul goes through this defense. And we saw in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we saw Paul do a series of smackdowns where first he says, well, uh, if you get righteousness by the law, then they don't have it because they don't keep the law. So that's number one. And he says, neither do I or anybody else because nobody can keep it which is a fundamental problem with the notion that you can become righteous by keeping the law. And then he has some additional smackdowns that he goes through, including you say you appeal to the law, but yet the law teaches that righteousness comes through faith. Look at Abraham, your hero. Abraham believed God and it was counted him to righteousness decades before he was circumcised and centuries before the law was even given. So... You're wrong because of your behavior, and you're wrong because of your teaching and the background. And then he really nails down where righteousness begins. And righteousness begins with justification by faith. When we believe on Jesus, we are imputed the righteousness of God, completely independent of anything we have done or will ever do. And then through last week we went through chapter 5 and he went through this litany of benefits that we get from having been justified by faith. It's all this amazing stuff that happened. It's incredible. And then he ended last week with this statement. And this is the statement, I think, that causes or that set up the entire attack from the other side. You know, in politics, uh, what, what the other side will always do is they'll hire opposition researchers And they'll comb through everything you've ever said if you're a political guy. And they'll take out one sentence and they'll say, this is what this person stands for. And then they mount this enormous attack off of that one statement. You've seen it happen many times, right? 
I think this is the statement that they took. And it's chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's how you get more crimes, pass more laws. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace may reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is, I think, the statement they pulled out and said, See, here's what Paul teaches. He says, if you sin more, then grace abounds more. So if that's true, then the best thing you can do for God is sin. If Paul's teaching's correct. Because the more you sin, the more it shows how graceful God is, and you're doing God a favor by showing how wonderful He is. See how crazy Paul's teaching is? No, no, no. You have to follow the law to be righteous. Look at all these hundreds of years of history. So Paul addressed all that, and now he comes and he makes his statement that I think they lifted out to attack, and now he's going to address head-on the slander. So chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, that's the operative attack uh, quote. Now, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go through chapter 6 and 7, the first couple of verses of 8, and I'm actually going to DT, go DTS on you today. It's, it's pretty typical for me to have three points that I focus on. But today they all start with the same letter. I don't think I've ever done this before. <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to do it, but it just kind of happened out that way. And I thought, well, I can be DTS today. Okay. So the three points are, and we're going to see this over and over again. Each one of these sections, we're going to see all three of these things. We're going to see a current reality. We're going to see a choice, and we're going to see a consequence. A current reality, a choice, and a consequence. Let's look at the first answer to the question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, Paul has made it clear that we can do that, right? As a matter of fact, he's made it clear that we do do that. All sin. And fall short of the glory of God. When he goes back and he smacks the guys down and he says, their condemnation is just, as we're so slanderously reported, their condemnation is just. The next thing he says is, well, am I, so am I better than them? No, we're all under sin. Nobody can keep the law. I'm in the same boat they are. We're all in the same boat. So, shall we continue in sin? Do we want to do this? Certainly not. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give a current reality that when we are justified by faith, and remember in chapter 4 and 5, he gave us this amazing reality that justification by faith is a complete gift. He says over and over again, freely given, freely given, freely given, freely given. You don't have to do anything for it. You can't out it. You can't overcome it. You know, some, some choices we get to make. We're going to see a lot of choices in 6 and 7. But none of us chose whether to be born or not. And you cannot choose to be unborn. It's just a gift. And justification by faith is just a gift. You receive it, and God does all the work. But from that point forward, living is all about choices. And now, we're going to talk about living. Look, the theme verse of Romans is... The righteous, the dikasune, the dike, 
shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And, and it comes from faith to faith, from beginning to end. It starts with faith, believe on Jesus. And then walking by faith is how you actually fulfill righteousness. So, number one, he's going to say that we were when we became justified by faith, we died to sin and were raised to life. That's the reality. We died to sin and we're raised to life. This is what we picture when we have baptism. Let's read it. 1 through uh, 14. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us were baptized into, immersed into, completely identified into, Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, life, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So our old man is now dead. That the body of sin might be done away with. That's why our old man was crucified. To get rid of sin. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. When? When we go to heaven? Is this talking about when we go to heaven? This is talking about what happened when we believed on Christ and were justified. At that point in time, we were buried into Christ's death and resurrected into His life in our spirit. It's a reality that's happened now and we can live this life now. And His whole point's going to be here that we have a reality that our sin nature has been crucified with Christ and we have a new nature that's been resurrected and we can walk in it. But we have a choice. And that choice has consequences. Now what we're going to do is look at this grace of God, this amazing life He's given us, and we're going to look at it like you'd look at the Grand Canyon. You can, you can look at the Grand Canyon two ways. You can drive up to the edge, look in, and say, oh, there it is, and then leave. Or you can look at it from different vistas. You can walk down in it. You can take a helicopter tour. You can hike down in it and go through the chasm. You can take a raft trip. And every time you go and look at that, you're going to get more and more amazed at how big this canyon is. That's what we're going to be doing today with the grace of God. We're going to look at it from all these different perspectives. It's going to be the same thing every time. But it's going to be different perspectives. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. So I was like, how many different ways can you say this, right? Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. He's defeated it. Verse 10, For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. When? Now. This is about living. Remember, the whole theme verse is, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's going to teach us how to live. 
And the way we live is in the current reality that our old man is dead and we have this new life. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Can we sin? Of course we can. Do we sin? Of course we do. If we do, does grace abound all the more? Of course we can. We can't overcome the grace of God. We cannot out-sin the grace of God. Is that then therefore what we want to do? Of course not. We've been delivered from death. Why would we want to go back into it? Verse 12, Therefore do not let, let, choice. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present choice. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Choice A. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Choice B. We're going to end up this whole argument in Romans 10. And in Romans 10, he's going to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, which is the choose life, choose death chapter. There's nothing new about this in the scripture. Paul's not introducing a new concept. The only thing new about this is the power of the Holy Spirit within to give us the ability, his ability to walk in this newness of life. The concept's the same. 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness as a sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Remember, the righteous shall walk by faith. The whole point of this is how to walk in righteousness in this world. And Paul's notion of righteousness is the Greek notion of righteousness, is the Hebrew notion of righteousness, which is things are done the way God made it to be. Where we are living in harmony with the way God made us and other people and the world. In our case, we're living in harmony with it unilaterally because sin's still in the world. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under law but under grace. Now that's interesting. Yeah, all of a sudden he brings in law. We'll see that more about that soon. Okay, so the current reality is when we're justified by faith, we're buried in Christ's baptism and resurrected in his life. When we're resurrected in his life, that means victory over death has happened. That's current reality. The choice is whether to walk in that reality or to go back and get back under the sin from which we've been delivered. That's the choice. The consequence is whether you want to live in life, which brings righteousness, or death, which brings unrighteousness. That's that's the choice. That's the consequence. Well, current reality number two is that we have to be a slave of something. We have to choose a master. Most of us say, I will choose the master and it's me. Which means we're choosing the master of our appetites, our stomachs. Psychologists, I think, have coined a term for that. Addiction. Most of us have a self-addiction of some sort. Sometimes that turns into a substance addiction. So we really don't get to choose ourself. But we do get to be slaves of something. You know, there's only three things that you can control other than your own self-destruction. But if you're trying to be constructive, there are only three things you can control. Who you trust, the choices you make, and the attitude you have. And part of choosing who you trust is who you're going to serve. You get to choose who you're going to serve. 
Well, that's the next current reality in 15 through 23 here. He repeats the operational question of this whole letter. The thing that set up the slander that he's defending against. To defend his ministry in the whole world. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? So he just repeated the question again, right? Slander in 3 verse 8 was, We should sin that good may come. Their condemnation is just. 6.1, well, are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? Even though it can? Is that what we want to do? Of course not. That's crazy. We've been baptized into Jesus' death and raised in His life. Why wouldn't we want to walk in the life? That was the whole point. Once again, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Now here's his next argument. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves who you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? Okay, You get to choose. The current reality is you get to choose. I get to choose every day, every moment. Who's my master? Sin leading to death, the consequences are death. When? When are the consequences of sin death? Right now, right? Death is an interesting uh, word. We use it. We use it in everyday language. I think the way the Bible uses it, we can say the battery's dead. We can say their dream is dead. Their chances for the playoffs are dead. And all that means is there's been a disconnection. That that there was something that was connected and it's gotten disconnected. Uh, And that's what happens when a person dies. Their spirit was connected with their body, animating it, and then it got disconnected and went somewhere else. That's all that happens. Well, when we present ourselves as slaves to sin, we're disconnected from what God's designed for us. God designed us to work and live in perfect harmony with one another, to have oneness with our spouse, to have unity in our family, to have the body function together with each part serving the other parts. That's the way He made it. And when we serve sin, all that's broken up. We make everything about me. What do you have when you got two people that are married, both trying to suck all the life out of the other person? Two ticks and no dog. <laughs> Somebody's going to go dry eventually. So, But no, you, you do not know who you present yourselves as slave to obey. You are that one slave who you obey, whether sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, Paul hasn't met these people. He doesn't know them. He didn't plant this church. But what he does say in chapter 1 is, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. How would Paul know that? He's been throughout the whole world. And he's heard of their faith. So he says, I'm thankful that you already are doing this. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So you got these competing authorities coming telling you you have to obey the law to do righteousness. And I'm telling you, you're already doing it when you're living righteousness through faith. Don't accept these guys' notion. And we know from Galatians that basically what's going on is this same, same competing group is these Jewish leaders that are contesting Paul want these uh, Gentile believers to get circumcised and become 
cultural Jews and and their claim is that will make you righteous. That's necessary to make you righteous. And Paul just totally resists that and says, no, it's heart, 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 heart. You can't reform from the outside in. It has to be inside out. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness, that's what Gentiles did, right? Temple prostitutes and the whole bit. And of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present, make a choice. Now this is one of the three C's, make a choice. And present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. To be set apart from the world unto God. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Righteousness doesn't have a call on people who are unregenerated. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? What good did it do you to live in sin? Is it really good? For the end of those things is death. You know, you can participate in adultery. It will kill your marriage. You can participate in selfishness. It will kill your partnerships. You can participate in uh, extortion. It will kill your company and your freedom. The end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, see, back to the choice. The choice is, who's your master going to be? Is your master going to be the sin nature and the world and Satan? They're They're all part of the same cabal. Or is your master going to be Christ and the Spirit that He's placed within you? Because you've been set free from sin. Why would you want to go back into something that kills you? You can, but you have the power not to. Why wouldn't you exercise it? And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Now again, everlasting life, aeonios zoe is a phrase that's used as a gift. It's implanted in us when we believe on Jesus. It's used as a result that we should have in our life as we walk by faith, which is it's talking about here. And it is used in chapter 2 as a reward to those who by... when God is doing the judgment of the world, to those who by Uh, patient continuance in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality from God. When we seek glory, honor, and immortality from God by doing good patiently to other people, which, you, you know, no good deed goes unpunished in this world, right? So when you keep doing good because you say, I'm doing this because God will reward me, He will, and the reward is eternal life. So it's a reward, too. It just means life as God intended it. And that's what our fruit is in this world when we live the life that God's given us. This power, this resurrection power life. When we live it, then we actually have life as it was intended. On the other hand, the wages, the result, the consequences of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So He gave it as a gift. It's given as a gift. And then when we walk in it, we have the experience of it. Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is typically used as a how to get an original justification verse, which is fine. It actually, in context, is talking about how you live righteousness in daily life. 
Because the wages of sin is death all the time. You know, Mark here, he could decide to uh, go on a wild swing and get a 20-year-old wife and uh, a, a, a sports car and, uh, you know, become a, swinging batch, being a, become a swinging dude again. You know what would happen? Yeah. There's about eight people here sitting nearby that would kill the guy. So you see, wages of sin is death. That's what I'm saying. So the current reality is we've got to choose to serve something. Do you want to serve and become a slave of your own appetites? Or of sin, the world system? What the world says you must do? Or what Satan says that you must do? Do you want to do that? Or do you want to become a slave of Jesus Christ who made the world, has your best interest at heart, and has given you the power to overcome? Which one is it? You see, you see his argument here? Can you sin? Of course you can. We do. Will grace abound? Of course it will. So then, should you lean into that? No, that's crazy. We have the resurrection life of Jesus we get to live. And it gets us away from death and into life. Why wouldn't we make that choice? Current reality number three is that though we have a new resurrected life, we can still choose the old nature even though we're no longer under its power. And the result, the consequence... Is death. This is actually embedded in 6, 15 through 23. So, well, I think we've already said that. You've seen it. But it's another way to state this passage. That, that is a, a reality. And we get to choose. So when we choose our master, we're actually choosing which nature we're going to live in. So then current reality number four is, and we're going to chapter 7, when we died to sin, we also died to the law. This, of course, is a very important point for Paul in making his defense of the slander from the competing authorities. Because what's the competing authorities claim? You have to obey the law to be righteous. And so now Paul's getting to the point where we're actually free from the law. Okay, We died to the law. The law is the agent by which sin comes. So when we died to sin, remember that was the first current reality, we also died to the law. So this is 7, 1 through 6. Now, I'm not going to read 7, 1 through 6. You can read that on your own. It's kind of confusing, and I don't want to spend the time uh, untangling it. Let me just summarize it for you. When you get married, the preacher says, until death do you part. What does that mean? It means when one of you dies, you're no longer in the covenant with that other person, right? You're free. Free to go marry somebody else. This only lasts until death. And what this passage says is, is that we're under the law like it's our husband. And when we're buried with Christ, we die to that law. And we get a new husband, Jesus. And we don't have to obey the old husband when you got the new husband. It'd be like a married couple like Fred and Wilma. And Fred dies. And Wilma gets married to a new husband. And one night she has pork roast and sweet potatoes. And the new husband says, Wilma, thank you for this wonderful meal, but I hate sweet potatoes. As a matter of fact, I'm allergic to them. I break out in hives. I might die if I eat these sweet potatoes. And Wilma says, well, but dear, Fred taught me that if I didn't cook sweet potatoes with pork roast, I was a bad wife. Wilma, dear, Fred is dead. He's not here anymore. The... the 
The idea about what makes you a good wife is no But Fred told me this. But Fred said, but I have to make sweet potatoes. You need to eat them anyway. Because Fred told me. Right? And that would be kind of crazy and even creepy, wouldn't it? Well, that's the point here. You had a husband. It was the law. When you died, you were free from that. Until death do us part, it did. It died. And now you're parted. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. Current reality number five starts in verse seven. And it is this. The law is the agency of sin. This makes common sense, doesn't it? If there were no laws, would there be any crimes? But the problem is not with the law, but with me. So chapter 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? This is probably also one of the other uh, techniques that these attackers are making on Paul, is to say Paul says that obeying the law is sinful. Well, is the law, what shall we say then? I think every time he says, what shall we say then, he's probably rhetorically asking a question uh, of the attack. And so he can turn it on its head. Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would have not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, it's interesting he picked that one, isn't it? Because probably what he's poking at here is these authorities are doing this in part because they're jealous of Paul's authority. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Because what, what do rules do? Don't they just make you want to break them? Yes, yes absolutely. The, the worst thing you can do is make rules. Unless you're just trying to break somebody's will. You always go for principles instead of, instead of rules. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Sin didn't have any power without a law. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life. See, the the purpose of the law was to bring life. What is the problem with the law? No, the problem's with me. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me. So now this is interesting because we started with we're dead to sin and raised in the life of Jesus. That was the first current reality. But now we're going back before that because when we were buried in the death of Christ and were dead to sin, we needed that because we were already dead in sin. That's, our, that's, the, that's the state in which, into which we're born. Sin taking occasion by commandment deceived me and it killed me. So I'm dead and then I die the death of Christ and I'm raised to walk in the resurrection life of Jesus. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. So the current reality is the problem's not the law, the problem's me, even though the law is the agency of sin. Current reality number six is that evil is still present within me, although I will to do good. So now I have this new man. Remember, I've got the resurrected life. I've got the new man. I'm a new creation in Christ. I've still got this old man, and this old man wants to do what's evil. And so what I'm going to have is an arbitrator. And the arbitrator is going to make a choice. Do I go old man? Do I go new man? Do I walk in death? Do I walk in life? Am I a slave to sin? Am I a slave to righteousness? And who's going to choose? 
me. So now I'm three people. You got an old man, new man, and somebody taking a choice, somebody watching the TV to decide which channel to pick. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever felt weird because you talk to yourself all the time? Has that, have you felt strange because of that? You know why you talk to yourself all the time? Because there's a three a three person card game going on inside your your play. There's a you're all there's all sitting there chatting. Uh, learning how to talk to yourself constructively is actually one of the more mature things that you learn to do. You ought to teach this to your kids. Te- te- teach them that, 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 there's, that there's a conversation going on inside. One of the biggest breakthroughs I had in my life is when I learned to start talking to my flesh like it was a mangy dog. You know, I would say, you know, I, you know, I, I hear you, I hear you there, but you know, I don't have to, I don't, I, I, even though I, I'm responsible for you, that's not who I choose to be anymore. I get it that you're still me and I'm still responsible, okay? But I actually don't have to listen to you anymore. Or don't have to do what you say. And, and what I'm doing here is recognizing that there's a, this negative agent still in my body. It's still there. And I'm still responsible for everything it does. One of the flesh's biggest tricks is to make you think you're it. And you must defend it. And you must improve it. I can do better. I, you know, I can do better. I, that, was a, that was a mistake I made, but I can do better. What is that? I can do better. I've got a new set of rules I'm going to follow. That's what that is. You're going back under law again. And when you go back under law again, you're going back into sin again. And you're choosing law as a master, which means you're choosing sin as a master. And you're not going to win. And then guilt's going to come in. And when guilt comes in, you say, oh, I need an even bigger set of rules. And then you need self-justification. And then you need a set of rules that you can point at other people and say, see, they're not doing it, but I am. And now you're in a real tailspin. Been there? Done that? Yes, I've been there, done that. Still have the full capability in me today. We're not going to see any evidence in any of this that the flesh improves over time. There will be no evidence. But this 7.13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that law is spiritual, I'm carnal, sold under sin. So we've got these two natures going on. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I don't practice. But what I hate, I do. You see these two natures in here? I hate, I hate what I'm doing. If you say, I hate what I'm doing, what does that tell you? I've got a force in me doing something that I really don't want to do. So there's two me's. One acting and one wishing. Uh, in Galatians 5, he, he actually makes it clear that our dominant doing agent is the flesh and our dominant desire is the spirit. Haven't you noticed that? Your first, your first reaction usually is retaliation and then after we say, oh man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So, so I know what's right. I know what's right. I just can't do it. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, this, my new nature is actually the real me. But I can give myself over as a slave to this old nature notwithstanding, which is not the real me anymore. What has it done? It is a dead me. So this gets even worse. I'm a zombie. I've got a dead person living in me that's still alive. So I can live my zombie life 
or I can live my new resurrected life. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my zombie, nothing good dwells. What good dwells? Nothing good dwells. Well, my flesh is not that bad. It's always getting better. Look, how can you improve something with nothing good to start with? Nothing good dwells. And this is Paul talking. He's been doing this a while. And he still says, nothing good dwells in my flesh. Nothing good dwells. For to will is present in me. That's my spirit self. How to perform what is good, I do not find. Okay? So when I go into performance mode in my zombie self, it's not capable. I what perform. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Rules, right? Laws. Can't do it. Cannot do it. For the good I do not will to do, I do not do. The evil I do, that's what I practice. Verse 20, now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. See, I'm letting the zombie live when I do this. It's not really me, it's the zombie. Am I responsible for the zombie? Yes. But it's not really me. I find then, verse 21, a law. That evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man. So my spirit self, I see the law and I like it. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. So if I try to get under the law, then that's living in the zombie life, the performance life, and I can't measure up. It's impossible. But when I live in my spirit life, I actually can resonate with the law because it's telling me about Jesus and I have the life of Jesus in me. And when I walk that way, I actually can do it. And current reality number seven, the pinnacle reality is this crazy thing that although I cannot keep the law, I can fulfill the law. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Chapter 8, look, there's no, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, the zombie, but according to the Spirit, the new resurrected life. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh through His death and resurrection. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, the zombie, but according to the Spirit. So here it is. If we try to keep the law, if we try to keep the law, we will fail and we will become self-righteous and we will be back in sin. If we walk in the Spirit in obedience to what we know and following Christ in the Spirit we actually end up bringing the law of Christ into life and bless other people. And the kind of the summary of all this is you can't reform from the outside in. The only way to have real change is from the inside out. Let me end with this. 1 John 1 has a real interesting verse in verse 7. 1 John 1, 7. And it says... If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from 
all sin. He's talking to believers here in this verse, in this whole, in this whole letter. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, so we're talking about walking here, right? Pursuing. If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So if we're walking in the light, what do we have? We have light. If we're walking in the light, what do we have? Fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, what do we have? Sin. We have sin. But the sin is under the blood of Jesus. Next verse, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We all have sin. we got a zombie inside of us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse our sins. And here's, I think, the point. God wants us to deal with what we know. He wants us to work on what we understand needs to be worked on. He wants us to confess the sins we understand. It's not our job to find sins in others. There's, there's all sorts of wisdom about when to approach another person and how to approach another person. It's done very carefully. But for ourselves, we're to be examining ourselves constantly. And when we become aware of something, we deal with it. All the other stuff that we're unaware of, he just says, I'll cover that for now. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that amazing? We don't have to worry about these, all these rules. What we have to worry about is what is God showing us now, today? Haven't you found in your Christian walk that God sort of reveals one flaw at a time to you? And you get to work on that and then you find another one? Aren't you glad? What if you got it all at once? What if one day God took the zombie out of you and you met it? Wouldn't that be a scary thing? And we might not survive that. But what we do is get to meet our zombie a little at a time. And when we do, we get a chance to confess it. Which means recognize it. Embrace it as reality. And turn it over to the death of Jesus. And live the resurrected life for that. Just a little at a time. When we do this, we are bringing righteousness into the world. This is how we live righteousness. This is what the righteousness of faith looks like. And that's Paul's whole point here. Is to get us to see this is an inside out, spirit led, resurrected life, living Jesus on a daily life basis of bringing life to the world. That's what righteousness is. It's not following a bunch of rules that we can then compare ourselves with others. That's the big point. And he's just going to keep hammering this and hammering it and hammering it and hammering it. And when we get done, he's going to tell us in chapter 12, and here's what this looks like. You know what it looks like? A body. A body where each person does what they do best to serve other people. And what the world says is a big deal, probably isn't. Having control over a lot of other people is actually not a big deal. Serving other people with a cup of cold water in His name, wherever you are, that's a big deal. So getting the eyes of Jesus to understand what life really looks like, big part of what we're doing here. And this zombie we have in us, we don't have to live that life anymore. We have the resurrected power of Jesus that we can choose instead. God, thank you for this amazing power you've put within us to live your life. 
I pray that you just, little at a time, bring to us things that we can put to death in our zombie life and walk in newness so that we can bring righteousness to us with all the great benefits you have for us and want for us. We can have closeness with you, which is really what eternal life is all about. This is eternal life to know you. And that we can have harmony with one another, which is what brings most of the joy to this world. In Jesus' name, amen.